0: Welcome to the Previously Learned podcast with myself James Shaw and good mate Michael McLaughlin. I lost my parents fairly recently and Mike likewise has lost his dad. This loss of my parents got me thinking a lot about life lessons that I can pass on to my children. Now given that my kids certainly don't listen to me, I wanted to get some life lessons from the people that have been there, done that and got the t-shirt. If you like Previously Learned, please let one other person know. If you don't like it, then please let me know. It'd be brilliant if you could like, comment, subscribe. It really does help Mike and I improve the podcast. On this episode of Briefs We Learned, Mike and I were joined by the highly decorated Green Beret Special Forces Officer, Nick Lavery. Nick is currently in active duty. This is despite injuries sustained during combat, resulting in an above-the-knee amputation of his right leg. Not only did he remain in the Army, but he returned to Special Forces operations, which I believe is a world first. Nick is the best-selling author of the book Objective Secure, and is the founder and CEO of Precision Components, where he trains, advises, enables, and inspires organisations and individuals to unlock capacity and increase capability. I really hope you enjoy this one. So, welcome, Nick, to the to Learn Podcast. It's our absolute honour and privilege to have you on and hear your life lessons. How are you? How's things? James, I'm well, man, and, uh, and I, I appreciate the
1: invitation. Looking forward to, uh, to a, an interesting discussion here.
0: No, likewise. Um, to be perfectly honest, I really don't wait to start on this one. Um, <laughs> there's going to be so much we can learn from you. I mean, like, you're incredibly highly decorated Green Beret, uh, Special Forces Chief Warrant Officer. You're on active duty. Um, this is despite injury sustained during combat, resulting in above-the-knee amputation of your right leg. Not only did you remain in the army, but you returned to special forces as well, which I believe is the first. And I can't underestimate the severity of this injury, right? Because I think other people would have died from these injuries. You're best-selling author of the book, Objective Secure. I love the book, by the way. I read the book for um, Thank you. you. It's a really nice book. It's fantastic. And you're also founder and CEO of Precision Components, where you help train, enable, and, and help people increase their capabilities and capacities. How did it all come about? How did it all start? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Man, it's a it's a
1: great it's a great intro. Um, how did it all start? And you know, I don't know. I guess it, it, the beginning, I guess, of the kind of the journey is is my would be my military career. You know, um, that's really what not only has provided me so many different opportunities and, and lessons learned and value added, but really is where I give most of the credit to the character traits and personality traits that then make me who I am today. Um, you know, a lot of that foundation was there uh, primarily from that of, of my parents, uh, which I know is a huge part of, of this particular podcast. So, mm-hmm. you know, but the, the foundation was there, but I was still a very much a knucklehead kid, you know, for most of my life. And then when I entered into the military, that was where those, those foundational principles that were kind of hidden really began to be, you know, kind of amplified and accelerated.
0: So so your military career, was that always something that's kind of planned or was it kind of you you kind of led down that route because you needed to have a direction or was that? It's a good question.
1: I'd say, uh, so I grew up uh, in in an amazing home, uh, a lot of different homes, you know, so both my parents, they had me very young. I have a younger sister, you know, and they were in the grind. You know, my father had me, he was 20. So he's, he's a kid and he's raising kids. And he's got no idea what, what he's doing. He's in the grind. Him, my, him and my mother were both in the grind. So we moved a lot. for A lot of, you know, different reasons. A lot of that was kind of financial related stuff, getting evicted and just having like a struggle. And, and they did that. So I was the new kid in school every year, all the way up until I was in college. So I really struggled socially. I was this scared, insecure, uh, small kid who's picked on and bullied and you know so eventually once I got into high school the military became kind of an outlet that I thought I would maybe go into really not based out of patriotism it was it was an idea that could fill this void I had in me as a person and that was kind of the game plan and what prevented that from happening was I started getting recruited to play football in college and I was a horrible academic but I was decent in sports so I went to school. Purely based off of that, and then my sophomore year at the very beginning of my sophomore year, I just turned nineteen years old, was nine eleven And that really was the tipping point for me. In fact, I struggled to stay in school because uh, I was pretty dead set on getting on dropping out and entering the military to get into this fight that I knew was coming ultimately decided to stay in. I grinded out my degree. And then at that point we were still not only in the game, but we were surging in both Iraq and in Afghanistan. So it was at that point that I said, okay, it's, uh, it's time to get into the game.
0: Uh, it's a funny thing that you say there about your education. That one thing my dad always said to me was education, education, education. Once you've got it, you can't lose it. Mm. And sometimes you kind of miss opportunities because I was too focused on that. You kind of think if you'd gone down a different route, but it's good that you actually got back to you had that, then went back to your calling to say, right, I'm now going to go into the military. From mm-hmm. there, you know, and uh, d- interesting, yeah, turn of events,
2: yeah. yeah. So just, uh just something actually. But really, my my father was in the army, so my dad and I travelled around a lot. So, um in fact, I went to nine different schools. So what what, what advice would you give to like the, the new kid on the block so to speak um as they went into new schools and stuff like Because, because uh, I, I remember it was quite a, let's say an interesting experience in some cases
1: i'd say that well, what's i don't know if it's impossible to appreciate it at that time uh certainly extremely unlikely and difficult to do but You know, Mm -hmm. as you get older, you get wiser, you can Monday morning quarterback things and you can look back objectively and kind of analyze. And and I give an enormous amount of my ability to do the things that I've done and the things that I continue to do based off my resilience and my mental toughness. And that's a skill. Okay. That, That resilience is learned behavior. And for me, that skill began being crafted and shopping by around the age of four, all the way up until I was a grown ass man. So, certainly, when you're going through it, it's brutal. And, you know, coming home in tears and, you know, crying to my parents and, you know, beat up and just like confused and trying to figure out how to fit in and like all the struggles that most young people go through. You know, so when you're living it, it's hard to appreciate that and you know we talked here i think before we hit record you know as, as parents as i am as well you know sometimes your kids are like yeah whatever dad like i'm not listening to you you know the things we tell our, our kids right like you, you know, this is this is this is for your best interest i know it's hard but you got to keep grinding through this so something that I, I i preach quite often especially to young people is when you when you're experiencing the adversity There is just tremendous value in that. Although it's not something that you're likely going to be able to appreciate or even see or recognize now. But if you keep in the game, you keep moving forward, you take on the advice and the guidance from those around you who you trust, who have your best interest in heart, and you just keep in the game and you just keep grinding and just one small step in front of the other you are building that mental toughness skill. You are building that resilience skill. And I have yet to meet anyone of any kind of success, regardless of how you define what that word means, that has accomplished that without a a substantial degree of resilience. So while you likely, and I'm talking to the the 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old, while you likely may have an idea of what you want to do and who you want to be, regardless of what that ends up being, going through those struggles now will without
0: question enable you to make that real. Fantastic. So, that, that grit and resilience. and you said there that it's kind of tall, but how do you keep motivating, pushing through when you're going through a really shit time? You know, how, how, how do you like almost suck it up? Cause you've got to go, you've got to go through that. I mean, like one of the things you, you say is like your ethos, the mission comes first. Um, never accept defeat and just don't give in, you know? And how do you keep motivated during those tough times? Um, keep pushing for them, keep pushing. Yeah, this
1: is another great question. And it, it's, it's almost ironic, James, cause I'm thanked and considered to be a motivational person or a motivational speaker, uh, or I provide motivation to people just about every day, which is an absolute honor uh, and something I take quite seriously. The the irony behind that is is when I'm asked this question or a form of it, like how how did you stay motivated or how do you stay motivated? The quite blunt answer is I don't. Really, is the answer? That's the truth. Is is, I, is I'm not I'm not constantly motivated. <laughs> in fact, you know, while it's something I seek daily because there is value in motivation, but if we define motivation as A burst of desire to do something, which is how most of us consider to be motivation. Energy goes up. A desire to do something goes up. I'm highly motivated to get fit, so it's that much easier to get into the gym or to do the workout because my desire to reach that has increased. Well, the unfortunate reality is, is if you are only executing on the tasks that need to be done when you are motivated to do them, you will lose you, you will lose the war. Now, you may win a couple battles here and there, but you will lose the war and you're going to lose the war to the person or the team or the organization that is willing to execute whether they feel like it or not. And really, that is the, comes in the form of the word discipline. Mm-hmm. So, discipline 1,000% supersedes motivation. Oh. And that really is the answer, is I'm not, I'm not always motivated. Um, in fact, more often than not, I'm simply doing it because I know I need to. And let me make something very clear. I am not batting a thousand. Nobody is batting a thousand. There are absolutely times that complacency wins, that laziness wins, that procrastination wins. I'm a human being like anybody else. I don't give a shit how motivating a TikTok video is from someone who is being perceived like they're batting a thousand. That is not the case, and I am the exact same way. So, the, while the goal is to is to hit that mark and to be completely dialed in and disciplined, we have, we have to live in, a, in in reality. But that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, if and when we succumb to that weakness, we succumb to the 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 path of least resistance, which will happen. The goal is to get back on track as soon as humanly possible, and it's not a you know. January first is when I'm gonna. I'm gonna start taking this seriously, or I'll get back on track on Monday. It's like no, no, no. We need to get back on track right now. So, the long-winded answer to kind of your question, but I think it's important because while motivation
0: is valuable, discipline is what leads to victory. Mm-hmm. It's almost sometimes you need to go off the rails a little bit to push yourself to go back on the rails harder and faster. Because if you go, if you if you if you wobble, then personally speaking. If I go off the rails, I get more pissed off at myself for going off the rails. I'm going to work harder to rectify my mistakes. Say, for example, training in the gym. And I miss a day because I just can't be arsed. I'm lazy. I'll work harder the next day because I've skipped the day. And I'll, and I'll grind myself out to do something now because I've simply done it. So it's, it's the thing I say to my son as well. I'm going to say, he's 11. trying to get him that discipline. And he he want to do all like the glory stuff, but it's not the hard yakker before. And don't get me wrong, he will do the hard training, but it's not a TikTok generation. It's not a uh, a social media. You've got to do the practice beforehand, the pra- and the stuff that people don't see as well. So true. And you
1: know, as as much as we continue to become more and more conditioned to immediate satisfaction, based largely on technologies and efficiencies. And just the evolution of us as a species and what we're capable and able to do it's getting more every single passing day and it's speeding up faster and faster and faster as technology advances it moves faster and bigger like a snowball as that trend continues and as what normal is is oh i want a cheeseburger boom i click a button and it's at my house an hour later like that is insane still to me and i've operated in this manner now for several years since we've had these capabilities but. Can you, you know talk. I talked to my father or even my grand my grandparents who are still with us god, god bless them and I'm like you see what we're doing even for me at a forty as a 41 year old I'm blown away I talked to some of these older generation people and they're like yeah this is like a whole like a whole other planet we're living on so my point is is as we continue to get more and more conditioned to immediate satisfaction becoming the normal what that does is it opens up a massive opportunity because while yeah you can get the cheeseburger really quickly If regardless of what your aspiration is, you know, professionally, personally, with a skill or a craft, it doesn't matter. The idea that we are going to obtain that as fast as we're able to get the cheeseburger Mm -hmm. is you are setting yourself up for absolute failure from the beginning. It does not exist. And so while it's becoming more and more common for us to think this way, it opens up this huge opportunity where if you can recognize that disciplined behavior is what creates that, makes it real in the future, and less and less people are willing to live that way, then it makes your ability to do so, it makes the value in your ability and willingness to do so go up exponentially. Everyone else, that's that's a large term, but most are trending down or at least stagnating in terms of disciplined behavior. Therefore, in theory, you could be drastically less disciplined than our generation needed to be, and certainly the generation prior, and still excel past your competition. Yeah, doesn't it?
0: That's, and so the opportunities there. I'll
2: tell you what, I used to have a boss, Nick, who used to say, uh, look, you just need to be mediocre, and you'll be better than the vast majority of people. Mm. And, and the first time I heard that, I thought, that sounds like a backhanded insult rather than anything else, and uh, I, I kind of look now and work around, and to your point, people are not disciplined, they're not focusing or working, nobody sees the work behind a TikTok video, I mean, I think, jeez, that's that's the main bit, that this immediate satisfaction is, is just going to set, I love the fact you just said that, oh, you're going to fail, um, but uh, yeah, I think you only need to be mediocre to be better than the rest, is becoming more and more prevalent, which I think is quite disappointing.
1: It's true, and you know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's subjective to our to our operational environment. And like whatever that norm is, whatever the median is, through whatever metric you can you can use to to objectively analyze it, if that is trending down, then to your point, you know, mediocre becomes the greatness. if you're comparing it from today to you know three decades ago so and that's okay because great is still great but imagine the people that are out there that are still willing and i'm talking specifically to young people like the 11 year old james your son imagine the 11 year old that's like has the ability to see through all of this smoke and mirror facade world that most particularly young people are living in and be able to see through that and say man most of this is The most most of this is bullshit. And for those that have made it, quote unquote, whatever that means, had to put in an enormous amount of really hard work and an enormous amount of sacrifices. And it's almost more so not the things they did, but the things that they didn't do that has created their reality that you're now looking up to. And it's a question I'm asked quite often. And you mentioned in the intro, it's like, I'm active duty. I'm a Green Beret. I'm a husband, father, two small boys. I run my own business. It's like, how do you do it all, man? And that's a fair question. And what I've been using lately as the shortest, most concise answer to that is, I don't really do anything else. And it's, and I use that to frame a point. it's not to make people feel bad. It's just, this is the truth. And it's really not so much what I'm doing. Well, certainly there's a, there's, that matters. It's more so all the things that I'm not doing. And we, the, the term sacrifice is really the one that kind of summarizes that. So what are you willing to give up? is an enormous part of that. And really sacrifice is a subset of discipline, right? There is no such thing as disciplined behavior without sacrificing something, right? You're sacrificing the warm bed that you want to stay in. You're sacrificing the night out with your friends. You're sacrificing the slice of pizza. Like you're giving up something and then you're exchanging it with something else that's more in line with what you truly want the most Mm -hmm. that is discipline sacrifice is a huge part of that so while focusing on the things that you actually are doing it's also important to just keep in mind the things that you're giving up and realizing how rare it is and becoming more and more rare rarer for people to give up the things that they have right in front of them
0: what what what, why do you think that is why are people getting less disciplined than is, is it a generational thing?
1: I think it's part of the evolution of of mankind. And there's like the classic kind of cyclical, you know, like strong strong times create hard men, hard men create good times, good times create weak men. And it like goes around in a circle. And, you know, you can look at that as being like really accurate. But what I think it speaks to more is just the evolution of our society. And a lot of that's based on technologies, which creates efficiencies. That's what technology does for us. It it gives us the ability to do things faster, more frequently, and with likely a greater effect or greater results. And as technology continues to evolve, as I just mentioned, it moves faster and it grows faster and it continues to go faster and faster and faster. So in today's world, you're talking about a couple years across a time horizon before the way we did it is basically obsolete. Versus decades ago, that would take an entire generation. there would be an entire generation who they only did the thing the one way because it took that much longer for the efficiency to grow. So as we build these efficiencies and our young people are being exposed to them and not only being exposed to them, it's just becoming normal for them. This is just the way that they live And so it's easy for us older people to look at the gen, I don't know what we call them, X or Z, like the young people in today's world, and be like, these fucking kids, they're lazy, they have no work ethic, like all they want to do is sit around on their phones and their tablets, and it's like, yeah, you know what? We are the ones that built all this stuff. We built the internet. We created social media. We invented the iPhone. We invented the tablet, and we shoved it into the hands or in the faces of our kids when they were children. And then for us to look at them and say, what's wrong with you? It's like, no, 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 no. Like, they're a product of the environment that we have built, both as, like, the older generation of creators and as teachers, parents, coaches, uh, advisors to these young people. So, first off, we all need to take a huge slice of ownership and say, we're the ones that created this world. They're just taking advantage of the world that we built and put in front of them. So... It's, it's a similar point that we've been talking about. This is not slowing down. All right. Evolution is not only going to continue, but it's going to speed up and it's going to become more and more the norm. And as we get more efficient, we are going to get weaker, quote unquote. That is actually the point. That is why we invent technology so that we don't have to work as hard to do something. We rely on another tool that can do it for us faster and better hence the efficiencies that come with it. So you could almost look at it, and this is getting a little philosophical. We're saying, yeah, we're getting weaker and we are getting more and more undisciplined, but that's also kind of part of the point. That's why we create all of this stuff is so it can do it for us faster and better. Now, while I believe that that will continue to trend on to hit the point we just made, it does open up this massive, that continues to grow, this massive vacuum of opportunity because despite the technology, work ethic is not going away. The discipline is not going away. The need for sacrifice and resilience, these things are not going away. It's those that are able to still build those skills and then employ them with the technologies and efficiencies that we have, those are the ones that are gonna skyrocket to the top of whatever the channel is or the food chain or use your analogy that you want. It's those that are able to combine both that are gonna be the true champions the true greats the ones that go down in history are those that absolutely meet the very best of their internal professional
0: personal capability uh, awesome stuff no 100% agree 100% agree i'm a little bit worried because i still believe in pen and paper i am um, i'm so cool behind the times in technology um my uh, oh, I, just, we we're talking the, about they what it's all cool. yeah. about <laughs> like, for a conference on ai and
2: um and they're talking about some of the things, uh, to your point on the trajectory of this stuff, is months and weeks and certain things and what some of the things they've developed and the ability to uh, potentially manipulate people um, is very, very real. I was, um, so that that scares the bit, I mean. But I love the fact that it also does open up the opportunity if used with ethics and was used with um, in sound business practice. And, and that's going to be the... the Ability for people to be able to use that. But so discipline, sacrifice, and work ethic will still be true regardless of what technology we've got to support us. Completely.
0: It's a staple, isn't it? It's like, uh, I can't remember who it is, but uh, the speech, make your bed every morning, just make your bed. And everything, oh, starts yeah. from And Jerome McCraven. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And everything just starts from there, then. And it's just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And then, like you say, the opportunity. And that, that's one thing I say to my kids, especially there's opportunity there but don't be afraid to make mistakes as well because you are going to make mistakes, mm-hmm. but don't be put off by that because that's when you're learning. And they're the tough times as well. You know, so true. So true. Yeah.
1: And it's one, it's one of those things that I that I include a lot in you know a lot of my speaking and my workshops and training consulting stuff is what exactly what you just said, the absolute unquantifiable almost value in failure. And it's one of those things that and I see this all the time. As you know, especially young team guys, young special forces operators that that show up ready to go, hair on fire, and they have this idea that I will never fail at anything ever, because that's largely based off of a fear that if I fail, I will then no longer be an asset to to this team, and that I I can't let that happen. So I will always win. It's like. I get that. I was that same kid for a really long time, especially as an athlete. It was just like the idea of failure, I was the type that I never failed. And that's a little short-sighted. Uh, maybe it's naive and it just takes a little bit of time and growth and wisdom to see that that not only isn't accurate, but to your point, James, is that's where the wisdom is located. Is It's in getting it wrong. And what most will do because we're designed this way is when we fail, we it's, it's, it's also we're accompanied with an entire host of extremely convincing reasons as to why we failed at that thing, right? It wasn't my fault. It, I didn't have the right circumstances. The timing was off. I haven't read enough books, like whatever it is. And then we use those justifications to off-ramp and just avoid the thing that we failed at. That's what most will do because it's it sets us up for success for a higher emotional well-being. Because if you look failure in the face and you say, yeah, yeah, I, that really stung. And here are all the things that I did wrong uh, that made that happen. That hurts. And that comes with emotional pain. But if you can, if you can lean into that discomfort and see it as a catalyst moment to learn and get better, then mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about a human being that operates that way. The term impossible no longer exists. If you're if you're talking about someone that 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 lives their life that way, because it's not only about just getting back up after you get knocked down, which is important, but I ask a rhetorical question often: How do you stop someone who's not only going to get back up after they lose, but they're going to get smarter and better and stronger every single time? How how do you stop someone who lives that way? And the answer is you can't, because no matter what you do, the no matter how bad they fall, it's only going to make them better and stronger the next time they go and again and again and again, and you you create an absolute weapon. So yes, failure, there is tremendous value in failure. What makes it easy to say and difficult to do is you have to look at that discomfort in the face and take that embarrassment and shame and whatever the negative emotion is and say, Roger that. And then use that as a, as a spark to drive the knowledge acquisition to then put that back into the system and go again and again and again.
0: But so it's coming down to accountability as well, right? So if you if you fail something and it's down to me that I failed, there's no point in me pointing the finger at someone else. I've got to have the accountability to say, yeah, it's my fuck up, I've got to own it and I've got to learn from it. And it's this is where you break it down so this is where I've gone wrong, put it back together, and like you say, you come back bigger, stronger, fast or whatever like that. As long as you grow from it, you know, it's but I've, I've, I've I s see it with my son, more so my daughter's too young, but he will take it to heart. And it's like, and I, you don't want those limitations on him. And he, he's like, make mistakes, get it wrong, learn from it, but enjoy the, the journey as well at the same time. It's not always at the end result. You've got to enjoy the journey. And it's easier said than done when you're right in the middle of it. You know, <laughs> it's like, your, your training you've been through, I mean, you must have some bloody dark times going through that, but you've had that grit and determination to keep going, you know, it's it's true, and you know I don't think I can summarize it better than the way you just said it because it's absolutely accurate.
1: And the, some another piece of irony is, you know, I wrote my book Objective Secure, which is which is a manual. It's not a it's not a autobiography. It just outlines mostly the how did I do what I did, kind of in a step by step process that covers the mentality or the mindset side, and also kind of the strategy and tactics, right? The sets and reps and grams of protein and a lot of the like the more granular data. The irony is is I wrote that book based off of my time as as a Green Beret, and I still apply those methodologies and philosophies and tools and techniques to this day as a soldier, but I am applying those exact same principles possibly more so today as an entrepreneur and as a husband and a father than I am as a Green Beret. And, you know, this is something that really wasn't my intention. It was, this was written from like a military perspective. I knew that there was value outside of the military application, but I'm starting to see myself apply it more and more often with every passing day. And to the point we're talking about now, the value of failure now as a, as a business owner. And, you know, I've got an amazing team of people around me that we've grown to I don't know, 12, 15 People that are on this project with me, most of which is a nights and weekends passion project thing, which is still what it is for now. And they're all very quickly realizing how much I enjoy getting it wrong. And, you know, no one wants to let their boss down or their teammate down or, you know, their friend down. No, no one enjoys that. But they've all become much more uh, accustomed to when a mistake is made. And it gets brought in front of me. I'm like, awesome. Like, great. So like, what did we learn from this? Because for this to be as big and as powerful and as impactful as I know it will be, we're going to have to get this wrong thousands and thousands of times. So every time we do, regardless of who is quote at fault, it's another opportunity to learn. And I will gladly sacrifice you know, a gig doing something or the sales of a product. I'll sacrifice that stuff all day long for my team to not only know that I am supportive of them pushing the envelope and pushing their own growth and development, but also because of what we gain as a, as a collective by each of us messing it up because that's where the value is. That's where the knowledge is.
0: And that's the good thing about a team, having someone there that when you do make a mistake, someone's there to pick up the pieces, and then pick you back up. And then when they have a mistake, you're there for them as well, right? And that's absolutely the, the confidence of a team. It's uh... so a bit of a question to ask. Uh, obviously, you had your injury. Do you mind talking about it for a second before I ask the question? But then you then decided to get back into operations mm. and. Were you kind of dissuaded by certain people in the military to say, look, maybe you shouldn't be doing it? And if you were, did you use that as extra motivation to say, two fingers up to you, I'm going to prove you wrong now to to do it even more so? Yeah, this
1: is a great question. Uh, so my, I enjoy talking about it. So, like, the, the fastest version of my injury is uh, Afghanistan. I was wounded three separate times and three separate occasions. The third, I took a whole bunch of machine gun rounds to my leg, it chewed it to shreds. I ended up losing the leg above the knee, and I would spend a year at the hospital learning how to live life as an amputee and figure out how to use a prosthetic. And then I returned back to my unit, which at the time was out of Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and I was offered a full medical military retirement. I put that in quotes because the army really did their best to force me out as a medical retiree, and I had to refuse that. And I found myself in an administrative battle with the United States Army. During that process, I was working as an instructor. And then as soon as I was given the approval to remain on active duty was when I made it clear to my leadership that I wanted a shot to get back onto the ODA, back onto the SF team. Mm. And at this point, and actually no point since, had there been an above the knee amputee that had returned to a special forces detachment to then go back into combat? So like anytime anybody does anything that's never been done before it's met with a whole shitload of questions and concern and a whole lot of doubt you know there's probably a reason why this has never happened before right so i it doesn't matter what the task is you know you're, you're, if you're breaking ground it's it's unorthodox and it comes with a lot of like eh, i don't think this is practical or even possible so I was successful at that. My unit, God bless them, they did give me the opportunity to demonstrate my ability. And they, I mean, they ran me through the ringer. I mean, it ended up being about a 12-week phase of just different tests and assessments. I was doing like two or three a week, just nonstop, a lot of physical stuff, but then a lot of just other types of evaluations. I was given the approval, returned back to my team, and about seven weeks later, I was, we were back in Afghanistan, conducting full-spectrum combat operations. So, did anyone around me doubt what I could do? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Most people around me doubted what I said I was going to do. And I made my intentions clear, James, from the time that I was in the intensive care unit at Walter Reed. I mean, I was still in critical condition, still fighting for my life, going through multiple surgeries a week. And I was telling people around me, like, I'm going back. And you know at first it's like okay awesome you know it's like people will tell you whatever they think you would make you be, feel better or do better it's like it almost doesn't matter but then over the course of a year while i'm like i'm you know i'm no longer in surgeries i'm off all the pain drugs like i'm back to being able to think coherently and i'm still voicing this and actively working towards it then a lot of the maybe a little more rational thoughts start coming out from from people and People are still, you know, sensitive to that because people want to be supportive, right? I'm talking about my family and my friends and my teammates. They they want to be supportive and they can see me driving towards something. And the last thing they want to do is just derail that, right? But they also feel an obligation to be pragmatic and, and practical. And, you know, And the term expectation management is one that gets thrown around quite a bit. And so I had to become incredibly comfortable in a place of isolation. And I say this and there's a bit of an asterisk because I was surrounded by amazing people the entire time that I was going through this, both like literally right in the same place that I was in the gym training with me or, you know, bedside helping me do whatever. And then also more figuratively, just how many people I had in my corner that I relied on as a support mechanism. But I knew that Very, very, very few people around me actually thought what I said I was going to do was possible, and I had to become comfortable with that. And you know what? That's okay. And I actually I understand it because what I'm saying I'm going to do has never been done before, and it does seem a little ridiculous. It does. You think about what the like the physicality and the lifestyle of an active Judy Green beret on a special forces detachment. I mean, we get sent into the most austere shithole environments on Earth on purpose and we're built to live off the land and live with very little outside resources and support that's why we exist so it's a very fair position to take to say this is this there's no way this is going to happen i had to get to a place where i could take in that kind of opinion and say thank you for that i appreciate that i respect that and at the same time I'm continuing on my mission without me feeling any sort of resentment towards that individual or anger towards that individual. It was coming from a place of love. These people loved me that much as they do today that they didn't want to see me get hurt worse. And I could see that then. And that was incredibly necessary for me to be able to do that because I was surrounded by a a whole lot of doubt. And while that can absolutely seep in and create an effect on you as an individual, if you are, as I was, that convicted in your belief, right? That convicted in your belief. I believe this with all that I am, that that it is possible. And I. I there is nothing anyone around me can say or do that is going to derail me from my belief. I believe it that strongly. And they may be right, but I'm going to find out. And, and so that place of being comfortable in isolation is both in the physical and literal and figurative sense is is incredibly powerful now again i say this cautiously because i am not where i am today james without hundreds of people that helped me and supported me and enabled me and that i worked alongside of hundreds i'm here by myself in, in my home office just me and you talking there's hundreds of people here that you just can't see that made all this real so when I say be comfortable in isolation, I'm not suggesting you lock yourself literally out, you lock out the rest of the world and you try to do it all on your own because odds are you're going to fail because there are going to be gaps and weaknesses within your game, within your craft that is, are going to require external assistance to bring that on. When I say comfort in isolation, I'm talking about your conviction and your belief and what you believe to be possible and that is unwavering as well as the early mornings, like the late nights, the times when it is literally just you, you versus you, none of those other people are around, you could easily go at 50% or just blow the thing off entirely and no one would know the difference. And becoming comfortable in that isolation and still willing to execute in that isolation. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the power of, of, of comfort and
0: isolation amazing uh, but how do you deal with those demons that are those in in your head when there's no one else and you've got those thoughts in your head Hmm. I guess it goes back to the grit and resilience we were talking about earlier but do you use those as motivation or do you try and just switch them off and say they're not there even though they're there I'm just not listening to them yeah it's um it's interesting because a lot of times
1: those outside of this kind of the special operations world, they look at us as this, these like emotionless creatures. Like we've, out, we've trained so hard or we've done such extreme things that the emotions no longer exist. That is 100% inaccurate, you know. And Dale Carnegie in his book says it brilliantly. He says, when you're dealing with a human being you're not dealing with a creature of logic. You're dealing with a creature of emotion. And that is absolutely accurate. In fact, it's it's part of what makes human beings as, as amazing and special as we are, as living organisms on this planet, is we are emotionally driven. So the idea that we're going to be emotionless is ridiculous and nonsensical. What makes special operations people, and this is just as a specific example, it certainly exists outside of this profession, is not the removal of the emotion. It's the control of the emotion. It's emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. We feel the emotion. Like I experience fear and doubt and uh, and all pain and all of these things. It's not that they don't exist for me. It's that through training, very deliberate training over time. And it's not just shooting guns on a range type training. I'm talking more so about training your mind is you recognize the emotion. You know exactly what it is and you can put it in control and you have the ability to zoom out away from that quickly and look at the problem or the thing you're dealing with with a degree of logic and objectivity. Because oftentimes emotion and logic are, are antagonistic of each other. It's really difficult to be highly emotional and highly logical at the same time, right? That is, that is the, the absolute, or at least one of, possibly the but number one character traits between elite high performers and everybody else it's emotional regulation it's not becoming emotionless it's gaining control of the emotions so in your question you talk about these demons coming in you know was i able to just like block them out i guess that's a way you could look at it but for me it was more so looking them dead ass in the face and saying i got you i know you're here right now but i am going to gain control over this and I'm going to, I'm going to navigate to what I need to do with you alongside me. And I, so I can, I know it's there, but you're coming along for the ride, bro. You know, And one of the things that I say to myself, this is just an expression that I've used. and I continue to use it in those moments of struggle is this is the cost of admission. And it's a, it's a quote that I have literally it's on one of my whiteboards in my closet right now. I see it every single day that I'm home. This is the cost of admission. If you want to make this real, then this is what it takes. And you asked for this. You, you put yourself in this position on purpose. And everybody, every human being, wants a whole lot of different things. But some are willing to pay the costs to make that want into a reality. And so when I'm feeling that, or, if it, or I'm, I'm living in the moment... That's one of my go-to expressions. This is the cost of admission. Yeah, you want it, but are you willing to pay the costs to make it real? And if the answer to that is yes, right now is the moment
0: you have to pay one of those costs. Jesus, powerful stuff. Really, really powerful stuff. I don't know. You just had, had something.
2: I, James and I obviously do some bit of research and stuff on you, and know, we both came up with the one thing that we thought was really powerful. The change is inevitable, process is optional, decide. Mm. Um, and given what you just said, the, the the price of admission, the cost of admission, you know, how do people understand if they're making progress in their lives? And and I, I think actually that would be right important for younger people, because <laughs> your point earlier on, if you get that 11, 12 year old that can actually see beyond the social media mm-hmm. bollocks, then how is it they can see and understand if they're making progress?
1: Yeah, this is a phenomenal point. Um, and and I, I do touch on this in, in my book as part of some of this part of this process. And, and one of those is, is the assessment phase, when you get to kind of towards the end and you're gonna take a a really hard look at where you are now versus where you just came from, whether that's a month back or a year back. And one of the things that i'm not sure if i if i put this in in the book or not cuz i'm still continuing to learn as as i go is the absolute criticality this is a non-negotiable and that's honesty particularly like self-honesty with with being honest with yourself and and, and becoming it's so easy in today's world it's getting easier to just lie to ourselves you know in this filtered world we live in and what we are projecting externally. And I'm not anti-social media by any means. It's an absolute powerful tool that can be wielded for good. It can be wielded for evil and everything in between. But we're also becoming more and more conditioned where I need to project this like image of myself and how easy is it for us to start to believe our own bullshit. We start to believe our own facade. So having a high degree of self-honesty and self-awareness is essential. And I think that that begins at least with opening up and committing to an internal dialogue right? Just having just that honest conversation with yourself. And you could be, I mean, literally looking in the mirror, talking out loud is a way to do it. It's a way that I do it still to this day. Journaling, an amazing tool to use to increase our ability to be somewhat at least objective and brutally honest with yourself. You don't need to put this on Instagram. This is just for you. There's no sense in lying to yourself. So if you, if you, begin to develop this skill of an internal dialogue that's rooted in brutal candid no bullshit honesty that is an important aspect because as you decide to do an assessment whether that's over the course of a day or a week or a month and to your to your question Mike, it's like am i am i making progress well look at let's let's look at the numbers right are you are you are you, are you maintaining some kind of a log are you maintaining a journal look back a week where were you then where are you now And as long as what you wrote in that thing was the truth, which again, if it's not, then you're doing yourself a massive disservice. You've got some sort of objective-ish data to begin using. Okay. We could also start looking at high metrics. What time did you wake up? How many calories did you eat this day? How many days out of the week did you go to the gym? What was your what were your sets and reps? What was the number on the bar? How many difficult conversations did you have with your wife or with your dad or with your friend, right? How many homework assignments did you send in on time? You can really get analytical here. And I, I get it. Like This has become a very long rabbit hole and you can choose how far down it you go. But my, my point is, is that there is a tremendous power in tracking some of these numbers. And you can use whatever numbers you want because it gives us objective, no bullshit, straight up data that, that numbers don't lie right? Right. I went to the gym three days last week. As long as when you wrote it down, it was true. When you look back in a week, like three is three. It's not going anywhere. Okay, cool. Roger that. So, and now where am I at now? How am I feeling? How am I looking? Like whatever the physical goal is, this is an example. If it's rooted in honesty and you've got some metrics to use, you can take advantage of. So those are two. And then lastly is kind of more external. And this is where the power of our community or the power of our team really comes into play who who are we surrounding ourselves with because they play an enormous role in our development and our strengths and our weaknesses an enormous role and we don't uh, we don't always get to choose who that is right like if you're in math class like these are the people that are around me in math class like, i can't like necessarily decide who that is i go to work like these are the people i work with these are my colleagues but you do have complete control over who you invest your emotional well-being into and who you receive authentic information from and who you want to learn from. That circle you can control. So if you've been deliberate about building a powerful community around you, one of mentors, allies, protégés, you now have external validation or at least external information in terms of your progress. So when you look at that teammate in the face, friend, Family member, colleague, doesn't matter the type of relationship, but it's a it's a strong one. Hey, what do you, what are you seeing? W- what are you seeing in me? Right? Am I am I getting stronger? Am I getting? In, do I look different? Do I look better? Am I am I contributing to these meetings more or or less? Like, where are my gaps? Like, I need you to provide me with complete and total objective data, and you know. Where I live in the worlds I live in, when you're on a special force detachment and it's you and 11 other guys that you know very well, that is a, an incredible tool to have because we live in a very no bullshit, candid, straight up business because we don't have time. We don't have the luxury of fluff because we got a lot of things we need to do that are likely gonna be really hard. So I'm able to go in and say, hey bro, where am I at? What are you, what are you seeing? And I know I'm gonna get it and I'm gonna get it straight and I'm probably not going it's, to, it's probably not going to all feel good. All right. I, need to, I need to go into that knowing that it's probably not going to feel good. And that, that's bringing us back to what we talked about. The power of failure. The power of, yeah, like there are gaps. You do have weaknesses in your game. Are you going to get defensive and say, nah, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, whatever. I, you disregard it or say, ugh, that hurt. I don't like the way that feels. But you know what? Roger that. I'm going to use that and now I'm going to get to work. So there are many different ways in which we can collect data and have resources available to truly assess where we are. It's just, we have to make the choice to put those tools in
0: in place. Jesus. Powerful stuff. Very, very powerful stuff. I'm to ask you a small question. That's all right. What do you like your legacy to be? Oh my gosh, James, That's mine. Sm- it maybe a small <laughs>
1: question, but dude, you hit you hitting a lot of you hitting a lot of great spots. And you know, let me just say this, man. Um I know we're up against the clock, but my interpretation of what legacy meant to me for years was very shallow. It was very self-centered, it was very egotistical. Like if I was living to create a legacy for myself, I, it, it just didn't sit well with me. And I can tell you right now, the exact day, because it's earmarked with an image that I created. It is horrible. I have no artistic skill whatsoever. But April 17th, 2017, my son was would be born three days later. And knowing that I was about to become a father was when my interpretation of legacy changed. Because up to that point, it was... I don't need some statue built of me where like random people are like praising my existence. But no, no, no—that's that's not what legacy is about. At least not to me. It became about like what what's my son gonna think of me when when I'm gone, and that completely changed the way I looked at it, and realized that it's actually quite a powerful tool um, when when you kind of put it in that context. So what I what I work towards is a legacy of being uh, a man of service uh a man of his word uh a man of integrity and i didn't always live that way and i'll tell you i know we got a lot of young people i made i made a lot of mistakes i, I made a lot of really poor choices you know uh i wasn't always an officer of the united states I army mean, and and i made a lot of mistakes and and, and things i look back on and go man how am I here where I am today? This easily could have just gone just a whole nother direction of, of negative living. And so I didn't live that for a long time in my life, but I eventually, and with a lot of help from a lot of people and, and, and God willing, I was able to realize that, man, putting integrity at the forefront of my mind is absolutely a non-negotiable, you know, and, and, and you can win all day long, but if you win and at the same time you are destroying relationships, you are stepping on the faces of people around you, then what what difference does it make if you do win? Whatever term, whatever that means to someone. It's when you're able to win and be successful and happy and, and achieve as a good person and who does the right thing and who builds up the people around them. Even though, yeah, it's going to make it more difficult to win under those circumstances, but it's also going to make it that much more powerful so being someone who loved and cared for his family uh, who continued to push the envelope who practiced what I preached you know um, who lived a life of service and who did so uh, as
0: someone with morals and values fantastic absolutely bloody fantastic stuff listen I'm very very conscious of time I cannot thank you enough coming on um, amazing amazing I'm an absolute awe of you all right, generally am it's fantastic stuff really really appreciate it and I wish you all the very best for the future it's fantastic thank you
1: likewise now James Mike I appreciate the time um, I really enjoyed the conversation uh, I'm glad I got turned on uh, to you guys, a lot of podcasts out there, man. Shit, I don't know how many there are. I that hundred billion of them. But you know, when you find the good ones, um, you, you stick. You see, you stick to them. So I'm a fan. I appreciate your work. I realize how difficult it is, and how this may seem like this kind of shit just like automatically happens, and, and it doesn't. A lot of hard work goes into it. So uh, I appreciate what you do. I wish you guys the best moving forward. Um, have a great holiday season, and, and thanks for for giving me the opportunity to come on and spend some time with you guys.
0: Thank you very much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that one. As I say earlier, if you could comment, like, subscribe, it would be absolutely awesome. It does help us grow the show. Until next time, thank you very much.